0: Uh, Our scripture today comes from Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered him wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is God's word.
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's true. We thank you that you meet us with it, with encouragement, with challenge, with correction, and with the hope uh, that we have in Christ Jesus. I pray that as we hear your word, Lord, that you would make your gospel clear to your people, despite my own shortcomings and inadequacies. We know, Lord, that you are enough. Let your people see you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, in your bulletin, Ed, I think, mentioned this. You have an insert uh, with a bit of information about scouting at Covenant of Grace, and and I'm really appreciative Of Ed for the history of the program Um, there's just a wonderful legacy of service um, and love in that ministry I'm personally quite grateful for all the leaders who give of themselves and their time to serve youth at this church and in the community Uh, whether through Eagle projects service days or supporting us in serving the community scouting blesses covenant of grace and I sincerely hope that this church is a blessing to you scouts Uh, But it wouldn't be possible without the adult leaders who give so much of themselves. And knowing many of you, I know that for you, um, you consider it a joy. You know, the Scout Oath begins with a statement, On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country. And I'm going to pause it there. On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country. You know, that's a good statement, an honorable statement to make. It's a worthy promise to make, but I want to ask you this morning, what is your duty? What is our duty? What is our duty to our country, to our neighbor? What is our duty to God? How do we measure whether we are doing it, and is it even possible to achieve You know, in our scripture for today, an upstanding member of uh, the community, a teacher of God's law, he came to Jesus, and he asked him for the most important of God's commands. In other words, what is our greatest duty? Jesus answered that question in a way that can bring both incredible comfort, but also a challenge. Because by his answer, he pointed this man to an even greater or more foundational motivation than duty that of love. What I hope you'll see today is that Jesus invites us to embrace the call to love and serve both God and neighbors by reflecting Christ's all-surpassing love for us. You know, in our passage, we find Jesus embroiled in debates, prompted by people who were consumed with questions of duty. In Jesus' day, it was a common practice to enter the temple and find people debating God's law. Um, They'd go into the temple courts. Religious leaders would be discussing and debating God's different commands in Scripture, the Ten Commandments and the hundreds of others that were related to it. And central to their question was, what is our duty? What does God's law oblige us to do in relation to our neighbors and to him? At times, Jesus was asked or engaged in discussions about many of these questions. One time, he was asked In God's eyes, are we obliged to pay our taxes to an unjust ruler? And at that time, Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. It was an authoritarian regime. So they didn't really like Caesar of Rome and they didn't want to give him their money. And so they were wondering, and there was a debate should we pay taxes? And Jesus was asked to to weigh in there. He was also engaged in in a question of, are we obliged to care for aging parents? Because there were some who were trying to justify that they didn't have to. How does my duty to God oblige me to act on the Sabbath? On the day set aside for worship and rest. What does duty require of me in these various situations? Looked at this way, we can define duty as an obligation incurred due to a benefit received, an obligation that's incurred due to a benefit that we've received. You know, I've been given something good, and thus I need to give back to try and balance the scales or at least try to pay it forward. You might have watched that movie. It was a good one. On the one hand, these are important questions to ask. You know, it's important, first, to acknowledge that we truly do have a duty to our neighbors and to God, and second, to understand what these are. You know, every Memorial Day, our nation sets, a day, sets aside a day to reflect on the sacrifices of those who gave their lives in service to our country. Indeed, our social compact as American citizens involves each and every one of us accepting that the cost of our freedom incurs an obligation On us, a duty on us to do something worthwhile with that freedom and to willingly seek the best interests of the community even when it is costly. For without others doing the same for us, we would not have the freedom and resources we have. You know, another example of the goodness of duty is that each and every one of us had parents. Any of you want to raise your hand and say that you weren't born? Anybody? (laughs) I knew somebody was going to do that. Uh, no, you were born. Um, the stork did not bring you. Um, hopefully you learned that at some point in, in your education. Um, and, you know, I don't know whether your, your story with your parents and your relationships with them were, were uh, good examples or bad. I don't know what your story is. Mine, uh, My parents were good and generous and are good and generous. Whatever the case, either our parents or some other adults had a profound role in shaping us. How many of you were shaped by the investment of an adult who cared for you, parents or otherwise. Absolutely, every single person should raise their hand. Um, Either our parents or some other adults had a profound role in shaping us, investing in us by their time, their wisdom, resources, finances. It's true that this kind of care results in an obligation, a duty of gratitude, to do the same towards others. And in the case of parents, as they age, Children have a duty and an obligation to show care for them, even as parents sacrificed for them. Scripture reinforces this duty, this responsibility. At a very basic level, to reflect on one's duty to others is to accept that there is no person who is self-made. There is no self-made person who owes no one else an obligation of gratitude and care for where they are today. We cannot detach our achievements from the gifts and sacrifice of others and say, I did this all on my own. No one had anything else to do with it. You know, I actually get annoyed by the myth of the self-made man or woman. It's a falsehood. That idea denies that we all have a duty to one another and ignores the role of a community in shaping our character and equipping us for future success. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Good lesson of wisdom for us. To recognize that we have a duty to others says that we are interdependent people, and it is good to recognize that and live in light of it. Duty is a good word. One area of duty, though, that it's really common to ignore in our present culture is duty to God. And that's understandable because we can't see God with our eyes. We can't say, oh, there he is. He's, He's right over there. We can't hear his voice with our ears. Yet everything we have comes from him. And our scripture says that that he made us. In him we live and move and have our being. To quote uh, the the book of Acts. He made all creation. He made the nature we enjoy on hikes. The stars we wonder at while camping in the night. He made the food we love to eat. The water that nourishes our bodies and our lives. As the prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, 24, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. To accept that we have a duty to God means that we realize we have received a benefit from him that incurs an obligation. Yet when we examine all that he has given us, Is there one of us who thinks we could possibly do our duty to him? You know, there are some who try to relate to God this way. When a person says, I'm a good person. I've helped others. I've done my duty. I go to church sometimes. God will accept me. It's like saying, I've paid God back. I've balanced the scales. I've dutifully done enough good to him. And now he owes me. It's treating relationship with God like a transaction. Treating him like a distant king, not a loving father who is near and wants to know and love us. For the reality is that when it comes to God, we can never measure up to our duty. There is not a single one of us that can truly do our duty to God. For not only has he given us such wonderful things... But the commands he put in place for our good, we don't keep if we're honest with ourselves. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says that there is no one righteous, no one who hasn't broken God's commands, no one who hasn't failed to do their duty. No, not one. All have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The problem of sin means that no amount of effort can ever cover the gap or balance the scales. We cannot balance the transaction or level the scales with God. But you know there's good news. And the good news, however, is that God isn't looking for us to balance the scales. He's not looking for us to pay Him back or even pay His grace forward. The obligation is too great. The cost is too high. No, he calls us to relate to him on the basis of something deeper than duty. And that's love. In his response to the religious leader, Jesus says that there are two commands greater than any other commandment in scripture. And really, he says they sum up the entirety of God's law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. In citing these two commandments, Jesus actually quotes from the Old Testament. Kalin read from one of those Old Testament passages in Deuteronomy this morning. Uh, The other one's from Leviticus. There are two books of God's law. Jesus says that these two sum up all of God's law. Now, love is different than duty because love is a relationship, not a transaction. You know, our world's perceptions of love turn it into a transaction quite often. That love is really about two people coming together and exchanging their, their benefits to build up the other, and it's kind of an equal exchange. But that's not biblical love. When we love someone, our goal is not to balance the scales with them, but to serve the other for their benefit, never expecting repayment, never merely out of obligation. And when that love is reciprocated, the gifts given by the other are not weighed and valued so that we can make sure to give an equal amount in return. No, with God, it's not like an office Christmas party where you just know the one who brings the cheapest gift is getting judged. No. And then, and then they end up devolving into this thing where every bring, everybody brings a gift card of equal value, and all you've done is constrain your spending ability in the end. No. God's love is not like an office Christmas party. So many times those gift exchanges produce guilt rather than joy because they're about a transaction. They're about a duty and an obligation rather than a relationship of love. Gifts given in true love are simply received with joy. When we merely seek to do our duty, our attitude, our mindset is not essential We can do our duty with grumbling. We can do our duty with a complaining heart, but we cannot truly love with a heart like that. As the young teacher of the law says, to love God is greater than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices, all of the external acts of obligation. To love God and neighbor is greater than all of it. God doesn't want dutiful obedience or respect without love. You know, I profoundly enjoy giving my family gifts on their birthdays and at Christmas. Um, at times I've been very creative with that and at, at times I haven't. Um, you know, I remember when Laura and I were dating in college. Um, we were moving towards marriage, so I wanted to show her how much I loved her. Um, so I went and I got this nice frame, uh, piece of wood from like Michael's or Hobby Lobby or something like that. Um, it was about the size of a frame, about this big. and. Um, Then I got my brother who was an engineering student at Maryland, he was a PhD student, I was undergrad. Um, I got him to let me use a computerized CNC machine uh, to perfectly cut out a rectangle uh, for the picture frame and then to cut the bevel so that we could fit a piece of glass perfectly in there. It was probably overkill to use that machine but I was super excited and it was a lot of fun. Um, But then I flipped it over and on the other side I I, I painstakingly wood burned a, a picture of a horse. Um, And then I stained it and I sealed it. I added a photo of of her pony, the horse she grew up riding. You know, at that time, I didn't have much experience with woodworking, so it took forever. If you've done a project with woodworking, you can probably relate to that. But, you know, I was overjoyed to give it to her. I could not wait to give her that gift. And what was my expectation in return? Nothing. Nothing. I didn't want anything back, nothing but her joy and reciprocal love. In fact, how do you think I would have felt if she tried to pay me back or balance the scales? If she felt like that gift incurred on her an obligation to reciprocate the same, it would have cheapened it. Unlike office gift exchanges where people get annoyed if someone goes over the price limit or gives less than someone else, my gift to her did not produce any obligation or duty, just love and the desire to bless the other. It had the effect of knitting the relationship closer as we express love to one another. And that's what true gifts do. This is how it is with God through Christ Jesus. As I mentioned before, it is impossible for us to ever truly do our duty to God. But the good news is that God has decided to show his love for us anyway, despite the fact that we could never measure up. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, another place it says enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. What this means is that just like I gave a gift to the one I loved, just like you show love to your friends and family, never expecting repayment or a quid pro quo, so Jesus kept God's law on our behalf, fulfilling our obligation. And more than that, he went to the cross to pay the price for our sin, for those who trust in him by faith. That we might be forgiven and restored to a forever loving relationship with God. And he doesn't want you to pay him back for it. The life of one who would follow after Christ is not about paying him back. It is not about honoring our obligations or doing our duty to him. Loving God and loving neighbor with all our hearts is simply the heartfelt response of love to one who has given us a priceless gift. That's why when the teacher of the law responds favorably to Jesus' answer, Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And you know, I imagine him saying this with a smile. Because on the one hand, this is encouraging. Because Jesus is honoring the young man's wisdom and humility where so many others who lack humility would simply have challenged him. But for this young scholar, these words would have been confusing and scary as well. He would have thought, near, I I thought I was in. He would have thought that by his goodness and obedience, he was already part of God's family. Yet by saying he's not far, Jesus says there's something he's lacking. And the answer was standing there before him, speaking to him. God himself in human flesh. To love God means to love and follow Jesus in his self-giving love for others. To trust in him and to receive his gift of grace. The only thing this young man needed was to know and love Jesus and receive his grace. To accept that love. You know, we don't know what became of this young man. We don't have the rest of his story. We don't know if he reflected on Jesus' words when a short time later, his own colleagues accused and condemned Jesus to death. We don't know if he thought about this statement when Jesus was sentenced to death by Pilate and hung on a cross. We don't know if he reflected on this during Jesus' dying prayer, Father, forgive them, my enemies, for they don't know what they're doing. We don't know if he believed the incredible news of Jesus' resurrection, the day that changed everything. But you know, I like to think that he understood and in understanding received the love of his Savior and stopped trying to pay God back. You know, there's an incredible thing that happens when we receive and we reflect on the love of Christ Jesus and giving himself for us. His love changes us. If you have ever experienced love, you know that love changes you and never more so than the love of Christ Jesus. His love changes us from people given to self-protection and self-centeredness to become people who find our greatest joy in displaying his love to others. Embracing our call to love one another as he has loved us becomes an act of joy and longing no matter the cost. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel, the good news, that Christ Jesus has given himself in love for you. Receive it. Don't try to pay him back. Simply reflect his love in joy to him and to a world that so desperately needs to see it and experience it in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your grace to us in Christ. Help us to see the distance between our obligation and our ability, but then also to see in the cross and the empty tomb the gift of love that says, I've done everything necessary to be in relationship with you. Thank you so much for your gift of grace to us in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time, we're going to approach the Lord's table, but I do want us, as we approach the table, um, to confess our sin together, because this table is about trusting Jesus. Uh, So we're going to confess, um, we're going to make this confession together, um, and then I'll give the words of instruction for the table. Let's read this together. Merciful Lord, we confess that with us there is an abundance of sin, but in you there is the fullness of righteousness and abundance of mercy. We are spiritually poor, but you are rich, and in Jesus Christ came to be merciful to the poor. Strengthen our faith and trust in you. We are empty vessels that need to be filled. Fill us. We are weak in faith. Strengthen us. We are cold in love. Warm us and make our hearts fervent for you, that our love may go out to one another and to our neighbors. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we come to the table, I just want to offer some words of explanation and encouragement for how we celebrate it here at Covenant of Grace. I do want to let you know that, uh, that this table represents the meal that Jesus had with his disciples before he went to the cross. But it's also a meal of faith. Um, When we participate in this, it's not uh, snack time at the end of church, (laughs) as I may have uh, thought when I was a child. Um, What it is, it's actually a confession of faith with action. Um, When we eat and drink of this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So I encourage you, if you have made that profession of faith and you're part of a church that believes the gospel... You are welcome to participate here. But if you haven't made that profession of faith, if you haven't trusted in Christ, it's not that we desire you to be excluded, but I don't want you to confess with your actions.